Well, what a question. This is your life. Are you who you want to be? Are you who you dreamed you'd be? You really got to answer that question for yourself. In your head, in your heart right now. Are you who you want to be? Yes? No? Kinda? Sorta? This thing of time, it's so fleeting. And when you get older, <clears throat> somehow it speeds up. So it may be that right in this moment you have some grief going on. You go, oh man, it's so different than what I thought it was going to be. What are you going to do about it? I'm going to be talking with you over the next five weeks about how to live in time. That's a, a peculiar thing that God has given us. Time. How do we live before time is over? Before it is no more? How do we live in timely ways? And today I'm going to talk about the quality of time. And I'll be upfront with you about it. Uh, this is going to be a very easy talk for you to forget. Be very forgettable. Be very easy to ignore. Um, and because I know that on the front end, I have been so conflicted about bringing this talk today. Because I like to bring memorable... I, you know, when you come up and tell me, Scott, what you said three years ago meant this, blah, 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 I'm going... Cool. I love that. But, uh, you know, if I see you tomorrow and you go, ah, what did you talk about yesterday? I hate that. And so, you know, I've been conflicted about what I think God wants us to think about today. Because it's very easy to forget, to put aside, to drop. And so, you know, I'm just going to call upon your authenticity to see if you will take seriously what I think God wants to say to us today. Because you saying a moment ago, if you're newer to church and you're trying to figure some of this out and you go, gee, why do they do the whole music thing? Why is all that singing stuff going on? Because, friends, that is our way and our time to collectively confess things and proclaim things to God and to one another. And so a few moments ago, you confessed that you want holiness. You confessed and, and prayed, God, form me. Transform me. Make me like Christ. So I'm counting on the fact that you meant that when you sang that, confessed that, declared that. Because that's what this is going to be about for these next few minutes. I um, 
sometimes have hard conversations with pastors. And one shared with me one day about a very difficult conversation that he had with one of his parishioners, one of his church members. I've had those conversations, so my heart was so with him. But he had been called in by the family to come see a guy who uh, had been through a very serious surgery. He's in a downtown hospital. They're up on a high floor, got this panoramic view of the city. And he comes in to see this guy, and uh, they haven't told him, the doctors, his family, that uh, he doesn't have really good news. So the pastor comes in, and his church member slash friend sees him, glad to see him, greets him for a moment. But then, you know, there's just ways that even though you're smiling, your countenance betrays you. And the patient said, I don't have very good news, do I? And the pastor said, no, you don't. And the patient said, so what's the deal? And the pastor said, well, the surgery revealed that your disease is much worse than what they had been able to determine ahead of time. And um, you're not going to be with us very long. So after, you know, a big gulp, um, the patient asked, so what did they say? Like, how long? And the pastor said, maybe a week. Yeah, I'm sorry. If you've never had those conversations, maybe you're imagining with me right now how difficult that moment is. And after a few tears streamed down the cheeks, the patient says, what am I supposed to do with that? A week. I mean, what, what does anybody do with that kind of news? What, what do I do now? And the pastor replied, after a moment of prayerful, God, what do I say? What do I say? What do I say? The pastor said, live it. Live it. Do you know how many people die and they didn't know they were about to die? You know. The clock is ticking. You know. You've got a few days to say some things you need to say. You've got a few days to do some things you need to do. You've got a few days to extend some gestures that God's been putting on your heart for some period of time. Live it. Do it. The clock is ticking. So, whether we want to really embrace that or not, that terminal patient that day had a gift that you and I don't often have. That is the clear sense of reality. The clock is ticking. He had an idea about how many ticks were left in his clock. We don't know. You may just have a few days ticks in your clock left. Maybe a few months, maybe a few years. Who knows? 
But the call of God is to live with the reality of the fragility, how fragile life is. It's a mist, it's a vapor, and then it's gone. This is your life. Are you who you want to be? Not just what you dream, but the dream that God has for you. God has a dream for you. He has a vision for you. He has a plan for you. Are you in on that? Well, right here, we think no one has ever lived life better than Jesus. Talk about someone that knew how to live in time. The eternal one gave up glory, gave up the heavenly realm, clothed himself with flesh, became one of us, and lived in time with us. And did so perfectly. No one ever lived life better. And so, it is no surprise that I would say, let's look at how Jesus did it. To see how to live your life. Now, you know, there was a time when Jesus realized, I got one week left. Remember? So as he enters Jerusalem on what we refer to as Palm Sunday, and there's the big parade, he knew he was headed for the cross. He had some idea of all the things that were going to transpire through the week. And I want us to look at, he's got one week left to live. What did he say was important? What did he say, I've got to be sure to be about this? Well, on the very first day of that, he went to the temple to worship. No surprise, I need to be worshiping. I need to have that connection with the Heavenly Father. Only when he got to the temple, he was seriously disturbed. You know the story. He gets there, and there is so much merchandising going on in the courtyard outside the temple. He has kind of this holy fury and cleans house. He just begins walking through and turning tables over and, 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 and you know throwing money around, all this kind of stuff. We're told about it in Luke 19. The text says, He entered the temple and he began to drive out those who sold saying to them, It is written, My house shall be called a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers. So let me give you some real quick historical context. Because in those days, there would be a number of, of feasts, uh, important gatherings for uh, Jews all over the world to want to come to Jerusalem and come to the temple to worship. And this was the week of Passover. And so uh, many pilgrims had come from distances to worship at the temple. And when you did so, you didn't always come with everything that you needed for worship. And so you would be counting on being able to pick up some of these things in Jerusalem, right? And so uh, a lot of times you'd want to go into the temple and you'd want to offer a sacrifice of a pigeon, a dove, uh, some other kind of bird, maybe a calf, uh, some other kind of animal. And so... Um, 
guys began to set up shop, if you will, in the courtyard just outside of the temple. And they would sell you the birds or the animals that you would want to take in and make an offering with. Now, of course, the Bible is very clear that you are supposed to present an animal that is without blemish. It's not sick, it's not lame, it's not a messed up animal, because uh, the whole idea is you're supposed to give God your best. You, you don't give God something that, you know, I wasn't going to use that animal anyway, let me offer it to God. You never have that attitude in worship. And so you have the best you can get. Well, two things were going on. These guys were selling the little birds or the animals at a way jacked up price. It was way unfair. Or they were selling blemished, sick type animals. Not only that, some people would want to come and they'd want to make financial offerings in worship. Only the temple said, we can't take your Roman money because it's pagan, evil, wicked, sinful money. You must have temple money. And so there were money changers in the courtyard. And you would come in and you would give your Roman coins and they would, in, in exchange, give you some temple coins. And, of course, there was an exchange rate. You'd pay a little fee to exchange the money. And it was exorbitant. They, were, they had that all jacked up. And so Jesus comes into the temple courtyard and he sees all this merchandising, jacking up cost and ripping people off going on. And he has this holy fury and rage about it. And he comes in, starts turning these tables over and setting these animals free and knocking the money out of the, you know, improper balances and that kind of thing. And declaring that this is supposed to be a place of prayer where you can connect with God. Not some screwed up merchandising place. Now, friends, don't lose what we're talking about. This is in the last week of Jesus' life. What's of extreme importance to Him? Holiness. Purity. Now, it wasn't just in his last week. He had always been concerned with that his whole life. He'd been holy and pure his whole life. But it remained a front-burner issue in the last days of his life, so much so that he cleans house in the temple. Let's talk about holiness for just a moment. Holiness refers to things, people that are set aside for God's use. So something that is holy is something that has been set aside for God's use. It's anything and everything that belongs to God. So a holy Bible is a collection of books of His self-disclosure, and it's holy because it's His and used for His purposes. Are you with me? The Holy Spirit is His Spirit that is used for His purposes. Alright? And so, a holy temple would be a building, a structure, that had been set aside for the purpose of God being worshipped, God being honored, people being able to connect and to commune with God. 
You with me? And so when you then talk about purity, purity is being free from the presence of any other substance. So when we talk about pure gold, we're talking about gold that has been uh, set free from impure or non-gold type substance. So it goes through this refining process, gets real hot, and the non-gold stuff is able to be separated from it, and then it's only pure gold left. Same thing with the things that are all around us. If they have not been adulterated, if they've not been made impure by some other substance coming in, then they are pure before God. So what Jesus is doing in the temple in the day is addressing holiness and purity. Now, um, when we talk about the intent of anything in life, we're also talking about issues regarding holiness and purity. It all has to do with intent. So, for example, your car is designed to transport you. The intent of your automobile is to transport you. When your car transports you well, it's being holy and pure. If it breaks down on you, it is a sinner car. If, you know, you're chugging along and all of a sudden, and it just dies, it's being a sinner. And because you have a high appreciation for holiness and purity with your car, you want it to repent. You want it to stop not working and start working. You, you with me? Okay. Um, so it is with your life and my life. There is intent. God had intent when He made you, when He made me. And that intent was that we would be like Him. That intent was, would be that we would be with Him. Have relationship, closeness, connection. And so when we have relationship, closeness, connection, we're holy and pure. Nothing is being able to interfere with that, dilute that, challenge that, destroy that holiness and purity. But when we are conflicted, double-minded, yeah, I kind of want to have God, I kind of don't want to have God, I kind of want to do what He wants me to do here, I kind of want to do what I want to do here, and all that kind of stuff, then we have been adulterated, we have been made impure and unholy. You see, Jesus was cleaning house on the temple that day. Uh, years after the temple was destroyed and went away, uh, the New Testament writers like Paul made it clear. See, it's not about a building anyway. Your life is the temple of God's presence and spirit. And so everything that Jesus was doing about that structure, that building that day, is true and applicable to our lives. And so if we were able to have Jesus in the house today for an interview and say, okay, as we live in time, 
what is of utmost importance? What is it that we really need to give some attention to? Today, he would be saying to us, give attention to holiness and purity. Now, that's why this is so forgettable. Because <laughs> for most of us, holiness and purity are like these abstract shoulds and oughts. I know I need to be good. So, what else should you be talking about today? Well, this is way more than, than about just behavior or about being good. This is the kind of life your building. So let me talk about it in a couple of practical arenas. And one, let's just talk about sexuality because it's all over the place, right? We see sexual type messages every day in all kinds of venues with all kinds of messages. And so let's talk about it from God's perspective for just a moment. God made us sexual beings. We have these like hormonal things going on inside of us that attract us to the opposite sex. It's all good. He created us that way. In fact, God created our sexuality in such a way that we can experience intimacy. It's a good gift. And so God says, uh, Genesis chapter 2, it's for this reason that a man will leave his father and mother and cleave or cling to his wife so that the two can become one. Now, that's not just talking about some kind of physical act. That's talking about intimacy. Oneness in a relationship is about intimacy. Knowing one another well, being known by one another well, having a deep connection with one another, oneness. And uh, sexuality is not only about intimacy, it's also about procreation. In the same text, God said, you know, now I've created you male and female. Go and multiply and fill the earth. And so in a marital context, one man, one woman for a lifetime, in a committed context, God says, I want you to know intimacy and I want you to procreate. And you go, well, Scott, I, I, this is the kind of gets me into an arena that I've been wondering about. Why is the marriage piece such a big piece? I mean, why the one man, one woman, all that kind of thing that conservatives and fundamentalists in the Bible always want to make some big deal about because it's all about our having relationship with Him. You go, okay, now you just lost me. The primary analogy that the Bible uses to describe God's relationship with us is marriage. It is a covenant relationship I don't have time to totally unpack everything that's a part of a covenant. But covenant means highly committed, exclusive. I'll have no other gods. I'll have no other spouse. It means the, the giving of one's heart in a high level of trust. So I will abandon myself in this relationship. I will risk 
like I risk in no other relationship. That's why God is pleased to use the marital analogy to describe our relationship with Him. Where He wants it to be intimate. And where together we create all kinds of things in this world. So, when a man and a woman are close, connected, trusting one another, giving themselves wholeheartedly with one another, risking, you're being holy. You're being pure. When you're knowing the experience and procreating and bringing children to the world, you're being holy and pure. But conversely, if I began to play with my sexuality with someone else, uh, whether I do that in reality or in fantasy, I'm being unholy and impure because I'm going against intent. It's not just being a bad boy. It's going against the intent of God for you. And so... There is a close level of engagement for a lot of us. As I am able to develop more and more intimacy with a spouse, I learn how to develop that intimacy with God. And the converse is true. The more I learn about how to develop intimacy with God, I learn how to do that with a spouse. And then I learn how to develop appropriate levels of intimacy with other people. But every time I take it out from under divine intent, it's gone unholy, impure. This is not about do's and don'ts, rules and regulations. This is about freedom and protection. You see, when my sexuality is holy and pure, I am free to enjoy it to the max. To have fun. To celebrate the whole experience of sexuality. To enjoy closeness. The reality of being known at a deep level. It's, that is free. And it also protects me from all that happens out there when there is lack of trust. And it's all about flesh. And it's all about hookups and, and gameplay. See, God never intended... For sexuality to be a way to sell a product. He never intended for sexuality to be a way to end a date. He never intended sexuality to be a way to build your self-esteem. Uh, to show how desirable you are to other people. Those are broken, busted ways around sexuality. And when you uh, live it and experience it in a pure and holy way, you are protected from all that busted stuff. Freedom. And protection. Now, I could talk to you about ten different applications for this. Let's just talk for a moment about vocation. What's the intent of vocation? God's given you some abilities. God's given you some talents. God's given you some wherewithal to do something that makes a difference. And so when you use your talents and your gifts and your ability and your passions and you work hard and you are diligent and you work well, 
then you bless other people. You honor God with your work and vocation. And along the way, you make a living for yourself. You make provision for your needs. What an incredible experience vocation and work are. Where we get to express ability and talent and opportunity, creativity. On the other hand, if we approach it with sloth, laziness, we just kind of get by. It's a drudgery. Well, Scott, you don't know what my work is. My work is awful. Your work is what you make it. Yeah, but you, you know who I work with. I mean, I, I just t- crank out a widget. You know what it means to just crank out a widget? All the- it is what you make it. If you understand it to be something that God has given your life for expression in some kind of way that can bless people, honor Him, and provide for yourself, there's no room for sloth and laziness. Listen, I'm not talking to you as a minister. I've done all kinds of work before I ever got into the full-time ministry thing. I've done the whole janitorial thing. I've done hard labor. All those things are worthy, honorable type of things to do to give expression to God. If I'm dishonest or unethical, I'm busting what God intended to be an avenue of great blessing in and through me. If I let greed and lust get in the picture, it's about getting all I can and canning all I get, I'm busted. But when I do it His way, for His purposes and intent, it's holy and it's pure. I could talk about another 7, 8, 9, 10, 15 applications, but hopefully you've got enough to to be able to carry that into these other applications. You go, okay, what's the big deal? Listen to what the Scriptures say, 2 Corinthians 7, 1. Let us, Paul pleads, let us purify ourselves. Get your sexuality under the intent of God. Get your vocation under the intent of God. Get your finances under the intent of God. Let us purify ourselves. Get all your relationships under the intent of God. Get your day-by-day opportunities under the intent of God. Let us purify ourselves from everything that contaminates body and spirit, perfecting holiness out of reverence for God. Matthew 5, 8, Jesus said, you're blessed when you're pure in heart because you see God. That's what a big deal purity is, friends. It's the means by which we get to see Him. I'm not talking about physical manifestations per se, but where we are able to perceive Him, sense His presence, know His presence, experience His presence, see His handiwork, see His movement. Hebrews 12:14 Make every effort to live in peace with all men and to be holy without holiness no one will see the Lord. Now I talk with people every week. I can't sense God, I can't feel God, I can't see God, I can't hear God. 
holiness and purity. Holiness and purity. Holiness and purity. And it's not just be a good boy, be a good girl. We're not just talking behavior. We're talking about the kind of life that we build that is in alignment with intent and purpose. So how do you go about doing that? Let me just say these brief little things and we're through, all right? How does one live a pure and holy life? Well, first, live as a follower of Christ. He's the one that did it. He's the model. He's the example. If, if I want to know anything about how to live a holy and pure life, i got to look at, study, immerse myself, soak myself in the life of Jesus. I want to do it the way He did it. Secondly, I want to live intentionally. And, and friends, know my heart. I don't mean this critically. But most of us in the house live life on autopilot. We live life on autopilot. We don't think. We, we don't have conscious engagement about all the nuance of every day. We just coast. And it takes a medical wake-up call. You've got a week left to live. Something like that that causes us to understand, oh yes, I live in time. I've got to be intentional about my time. Now, on that whole work thing, Scott, you don't know where I work and you know, how can I be honoring to God? And all. Well, are you working where God wants you working? See, did I intentionally engage God? God, you want me to take this job? God, you want me to take this promotion? God, you want me to take this transfer and go from this office to that office? Those are not no-brainers. Well, they gave me this kind of new perk and, and benefit. and I don't care. I want to intentionally engage God. God, where do you want my hours of every day in the workplace invested? Do you want it here or do you want it there? I want to be where you want me to be. And if I am where He wants me to be, then that is a place of honor and purpose and eternal difference making. I don't care what the kind of work is. Why do you live where you live? Well, I just really like the neighborhood. I always wanted to be on a cul-de-sac and you know, it had the bedrooms that I want. I don't care about all that kind of stuff. God has a purpose and a plan about where you invest the hours of your neighborhood life. Be intentional about where you work. Be intentional about where you live. Be intentional about how you spend your money, how you spend your time, with whom you recreate. All these kinds of things call for intentionality. That's how you live a holy and pure life. Live with wisdom. Our world screams foolishness. Do this and you'll feel better. Do this and you'll be excited. Do this and you'll be accepted. Do this and you'll have what you need. Do this. Foolish, foolish, foolish. Live with wisdom. Listen, you... you if you don't have it settled for yourself already, you, you just got to get this thing settled. Either God is all-knowing and all-wise, and it pays to follow His wisdom, or He's not. 
And I'll just follow every little whim that comes along because it feels good. Or it makes sense in the moment. Listen, settle that issue. He's either wise or he isn't. And if he is, then get in alignment with that and live in community. Listen, I've got to be around people that are on that same page. Because I'm going to be in other arenas with people that are not on that same page. And so it fortifies my heart. It encourages my soul. It gives me clear uh, pictures about how well or not it's going for me when I'm in community with other believers that are on that same page. And live prayerfully. Talk to God. Friends, we're not a very prayerful people. We say some prayers. And some of us even have a little disciplines and practices around journaling and all that kind of thing. But this ongoing, throughout the day, conversing, engaging with God, allowing Him to give direction and prompting and responding to that. And that's the only way you're going to get at holiness and purity. And so, let me wrap up with this. Do you want to? Do you classify holiness and purity as this kind of incredibly wondrous ideal that nobody ever gets to? Or do you see that even in the last moments of Jesus' life, He's saying, it's got to be about this. Make it about this. Clean house and make it about this while there's still time. Let's pray. Oh God, the the question just continues to ring. Are you who you want to be? Is your life what you had dreamed? Lord, I, I pray you don't let us escape the question. I pray that you don't allow us to just bury it and get into denial about it, but keep it fresh and raw before us. That this was a divine moment with you, with a call to holiness and purity. To build that kind of quality life in time. So, Lord, I pray for each one in the house and in the hearing of the talk that whatever next step is there for them, you'd make that clear. If they need to become a follower of Christ, Lord, that they would make that step today. If they need to submit to your wisdom, get into community, be a part of a small group, be more consistent about the Sunday gathering. 
And it has to do with just praying with greater frequency. Connection with you. I pray, Lord, show the step. Give us the power, the grace to take the step. In Jesus' name, amen.